welcome to episode 16 of the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Heigl, and I am here with my co-host, Aidan Muir, and today we're going to be discussing acute weight cuts. So specifically acute weight cuts, not talking about long-term body fat loss. So I suppose to set the scene, let's talk briefly about the two kinds of weight loss. The first is going to be that more chronic uh, loss of body fat and or muscle mass to reduce your scale weight over time. Um, And the second is going to be the acute manipulation of things like sodium, water and and fiber in your system to reduce your scale weight. So in today's podcast, we are going to be talking specifically about number two. Yeah. So making weight for competitions basically like we obviously work with a lot of powerlifters um combat sports other things like that where you need to make a certain weight class and in some cases it can be really favorable to be a little bit above your weight class in terms of size um the big one it obviously makes sense with fighters and stuff like that where it's like if you're five percent bigger than the person you're fighting like i don't know it's very compelling like it's it's a clear advantage so like there's a lot of reasons why people want to do it which does lead into like what we want to talk about like who should be weight cutting and who shouldn't I kind of want you to go first on that one before I say my piece so who should be doing weight cuts I personally only advise weight cuts for people who are either like like professional in that sport uh, are going for some kind of record maybe if you're like trying to podium at a particular event or competition you could say maybe maybe doing a weight cut there. But if you're not super competitive in the sport that you're in and you don't necessarily need to do one, then I would always advise against it. Like there is some, like it puts a lot of stress on the body. And if it is going to be better for you to get 100% of your performance on the day, then it doesn't make any sense to do a weight cut. Yeah. And like the reason I wanted you to go first is because that, that is the gold standard. Like that is how we view it. And like, I think I'm the outlier. I'm just like a little bit more pro weight cuts than most people. And like something that I think about and why it shaped my view is it's like, I, I do have the opinion that you can cut about for, for like the research on fighters, which we'll talk about in a bit, but like the research on fighters is like 4%, oh, sorry, four hour weigh-ins, you can cut about 5% body weight the week of and rehydrate and everything like that and lose no performance. That's what the research on fighters shows. That doesn't mean that works for all athletes. Like, it doesn't mean it works for um, powerlifters and everything like that. And it doesn't mean there's no individual variation. Like, some people will get better results, some people will get worse. But what I think about is it's like, I'm a pretty mediocre powerlifter. I'm I'm never going to podium. I'm never going to break records. I'm never going to do anything like that. But, like, I want to get the best performance that I can get. And that includes to me being like my best power to weight ratio or whatever it is or the best total or whatever body weight. Like I want to get the best that I can get. And if, if I went with that gold standard definition, I'd never be able to do that. Yeah. And it's, it's basically telling myself I'd never be able to do that. That doesn't mean I'm going to do anything like silly, like um, really push the boundaries or anything like that. But it does mean like if I'm going to compete in a 90 kilo weight class, I might weigh 94 kilos a week out or something like that. And it's something that I'm, I'm more open to doing with certain competitors and stuff like that like if i if i have a powerlifting client who's done competitions before and they're not going to get a medal or they're not going to podium and they're not going to break a record but they want to do a weight cut i'm I'm not going to convince them otherwise and i'm going to try and help them do that so i'm pretty open to it but the gold standard is that they probably shouldn't be doing (laughs) yeah and i think if you're not using any like if you're being sensible about it you're not doing anything dangerous then sure you can put your body through that i think the whole process is absolute hell and i have never done it and i don't think 
I don't know if I'd personally ever do it. And like that, I suppose that's another thing though, because like I have obviously played around with it. Like that's how I justify it to myself. I'm like, yeah. I'm going to play around with it because I'm doing this with a lot of clients. I need to know totally. what it feels like. And um, so I have done like 94 to 89 in a couple of days. I felt great. Like I felt fine. Yeah. And like, how was I going to know that without doing that? But it's also like, not everyone feels like that. Like most people seem to feel all right with that kind of drop. When it gets 8%, most people feel pretty rubbish. Um, yeah. Like the, the higher it gets, obviously the worse it gets. And the way I view it is like 8% is really pushing it. 10% kind of have to be a bit of a freak to be able yeah. to like, there are people who do that and they perform well and everything like that. But like they are the outliers. They, they exist. You can do that, but I'm not encouraging that basically. Yeah. yeah. And you definitely want 24 hour weigh in if you were going to yeah, the 8 yeah. to 10% for sure. So that that's a really relevant point in terms of, because um, Olympic weightlifting, for example, and um powerlifting australia i think apu i don't know about apu but like they do two hour two hours yeah yeah so like that was a, that's a point we should touch on that like i don't really recommend manipulating all these variables that we're going to talk about for those weigh-ins i'd actually just rather you you're in your weight class or very close to your weight class yeah. and a big factor for that is we have this research showing that two percent loss of body weight due to dehydration which is part of what's one of the variables we're trying to manipulate two percent loss in weight makes you weaker it makes you less coordinated like yeah. that level of dehydration actually affects your performance and we know you can only rehydrate so quickly if you lose two percent body weight and then you've got to go out and compete you, you're not going to be at your optimal the reason why i i talk about this is like if we've got this research on four hour wanes for fighters trying they can do five percent and we work with clients who sometimes have 24 hour wanes five percent seems a lot more comfortable considering they've got 24 hours to rehydrate 24 hours is a long time. Yeah, it's and stupid. Like, it's, it is actually stupid. It's pretty <laughs> like, dangerous. Like, people can push that. <laughs> yeah, and I know um, in a lot of, like, amateur boxing, so professional boxing in Australia, I believe you get 24-hour weigh-ins, um, but they uh, will do two to four-hour weigh-ins in amateur boxing just to prevent people from yeah. trying to do these really crazy weight cuts. Yeah. Um, because I, I don't know how you feel about this, but in powerlifting, I feel like our culture is getting a little bit better than it used to be in regards to weight cuts. Like, I don't see that many people doing crazy things anymore. I still see a lot of things in combat yeah. sports. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, like, to be fair, that's also part of why I started talking about this a lot more over the last few years as well, because it's like powerlifting does have a weird culture about it where it's like either people do not cut at all and they have that opinion being like, no, nah, cuts are bad, I'm not going to do it at all. Or they cut too much yeah. or they cut in a bad way. Like there is that no middle ground. That That is why I'm trying to talk about this. Whereas like in, in fighting, it, they do big they do big cuts. Like and a lot of times you could argue that it is too big and they might do it in dangerous ways or whatever. But they're, they're, there's very few people like, no, nah, I'm not going to cut. Yeah. Because if you don't cut and you're fighting somebody who's 10% bigger, even if they didn't do it perfectly, that's a rough matchup. Yeah, in combat sports where pretty much everybody's doing it you're at a clear disadvantage yeah. if you don't partake in mm. it in some in some way whereas we don't have that clear thing in powerlifting yeah. and like i also think it matters less in powerlifting like let's use the 94 and 89 kilo kind of example am i that much stronger at 94 than i am at 89 like it's, it's not that big of a difference um whereas like it seems to matter more in fighting and stuff like that and the, the other thing to add is powerlifting is not as mature of a sport and in, in what i'm getting at in terms of like True. the the gap between people is pretty big because it's not that popular of a sport as well um like a lot of fights are close competitors choose fights that are meant to be close but if you watch like gpc states or gpc nationals and stuff like that there's like there's big differences between the levels of a lot of lifters like there is some close competitors and stuff like that 
But often the person who wins is pretty far from the person who comes second, who's pretty far from the person who comes third. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you're in a particular weight class, I think it, there's definitely an argument for being on the higher end of that weight yeah, class, even if I you're not going that. over it. Like if you're in the 75 kilo weight class, you probably want to be at least, you know, 74, 75 kilos almost rather than um, like 68 kilos and be just within that weight class. Um, but when it comes to to weight cuts, yeah, I, I think it's just questionable whether someone should do it or not. It really depends on how long they have to weigh in. Yeah. Like that that's going to be like one of the biggest variables in whether it's going to perf- like affect your performance or not um, and how much you're trying to cut, obviously. Yeah. So getting to some specifics and obviously talking in regards to longer weigh-ins as we talked about, um, I think some one of the big mistakes a lot of people make is they overemphasize one tool. And typically it is just water, like they just stop drinking water or something like that. Um, and that does work. But if we go back to that kind of line I said about 2% loss of body weight, et cetera, et cetera, like if we go back to that hurting your performance, it makes sense that we'd want to pull from other areas as well, if possible. Um, <clears throat> something you said is like fiber and like also food volume ties into that. Like if you eat half a kilo of food and that's in your stomach when you weigh in, that's a half a kilo increase. Does that affect your performance? Like it's not affecting your performance. Like if you instead had 200 grams of food, for example, you would weigh in 300 grams lighter and you've done nothing to hurt your performance. So like that's like an obvious example, but like that's something to think about. You can manipulate your fiber intake. You can lower your fiber intake. You can lower your food volume for say two days leading up to it, which we'll talk through. And then salt. This is a debated one or sodium, like a bit of a debated one, but like obvious one is that we... Hold on to more water when we have higher salt intakes. Like if you go out to a restaurant and then weigh yourself the next day, which is all going to lead into another point, typically your body weight's higher because you've had a higher carbohydrate intake. Every gram of glycogen you store, you typically store around 2.7 grams of car- of sorry of water as well. So it's like you eat a lot of carbs, you ho- store, store more water. You have a lot of salt, you store more water as well. <clears throat> but there is also a bit of a lag effect for sodium and storing water due to the hormones aldosterone and ADH. So we can play around with some stuff with that where it's like you can actually go really high salt or high sodium for the week of and then drop that at the end, almost once again like tricking your body into like um, basically excreting more water. And then the the last variable is obviously water intake. Anything else that you've thought of in terms of variables or anything like that or how you would go about weight cuts or how you wouldn't go about them? Yeah, so I guess when it comes to those particular variables, like if we're talking about an athlete that doesn't have much weight to cut, potentially you would just use things like your food volume and your fiber to manipulate a kilo or so of body weight if you're really close to that um, before even touching on things like um, dehydration, like playing around with water and sodium um, because it's the water and sodium manipulation that's going to affect your performance um so if i can i try to focus on a reduction in fiber food volume and a reduction in carbs see how much we can get out of that and sure if we have to okay we'll do the water load and everything we'll speak about in um in a minute uh, but we'll do like the water load and um try to get some dehydration involved and even even just on those points that's also where it's like I always talk about like spectrums and stuff like that, but that's, that's why I say like, you can do a little weight cut. Like if, if you're competing yeah. in the 90 kilo weight class, like no reason you couldn't be 91 kilos or 92. Like it, it's such an easy drop from there. Like with those little things you just talked about. Yeah. Like if you have a two hour weigh in and you're just manipulating carbs and to a certain extent and fiber and food volume, 
you can fuel back up. You'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. But as soon as you start playing around with water, that's when we have to be mindful. Yeah. And even like using powerlifting, it's like a two-hour weigh and It's actually more than two hours because it's like it's two hours and then you start squatting or whatever if you're yeah. on the first flight. And then yeah. like you've got like your first opener is like it's still like a warm-up. Like, and then you've got the entire day before you get to do this. Like, it's, it's really more than two hours, but yeah. Yeah, you've got, you've got time. Um, I suppose another thing I would briefly want to touch on is variables that we wouldn't use, but some people do use. Yeah. Um, so talking about things like induced sweating, so saunas or even people putting on a bunch of garbage bags and going for a run yeah. um, and things like laxatives, diuretics. So yes, there are all things that are used, but yeah. not things that we would suggest. Yeah, I, I'm open to using saunas as a last saunas resort. Maybe, like it's a yeah. maybe. Like I sometimes if somebody's got a big weight kite, I'm like, let's do all of these things, but like maybe look at having a sauna as like if you need it. Um, I, yeah, I feel like if I can't be there to monitor that person, then I do feel a bit irresponsible yeah. recommending it. I yeah, yeah, I message them every day of the wake up bar, yeah. like and like try and stay in touch. But, but are yeah. you there during like would you be there during like no, the and bath I've had, time or because I see yeah. like the fight dietitian and obviously yeah. with their athletes, they are there with that athlete monitoring them. Um, it it can be dangerous to to induce sweat like that if you're in a sauna for a few hours yeah i've never had someone do it I, I, I have had someone do it but i had made sure that their coach was there too during yeah. that process and they were monitored during that um so it's one of those like question mark ones where i'm not completely against it i think it can have its place um it's just not something that i recommend cons like consistently yeah and then when you're talking about stuff like laxatives and diuretics like they're more likely to harm performance and stuff like yeah. that Something that I, I think of, Ed, like, every time I hear laxatives and weight cuts, I think of the Scott Watson story. Oh, me too. Yeah. So, I can't remember. I don't want to butcher it, but it's something about how, like, he had to make weight. He was doing 100 down to 90 kilos. Yeah. Um, so, like, a 10%, a bit over 10%. So, pretty hectic. And he used, I think he used a, a bit of, like, a normal serve or something like that, and it wasn't enough. Or he just didn't feel anything, so then he used more. I'm not sure if that's right. Yeah, so he had the laxatives. I, th I think this is right. He had the laxatives, and he didn't feel um, a response, you know, in the, like, first hour or so. So he took, like, the same dose again. Yeah. Um, and then ended up having, yeah. Yeah, so he was he was on the toilet the entire yeah. night and obviously got no sleep. No sleep. And, like, yeah, even, like, when nothing was coming out, he still was on the toilet. <laughs> he just, like, yeah, couldn't get to sleep. And it's like, well, obviously not getting sleep for an entire night is going to hurt your <laughs> performance. Be so much worse. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like that, that always scares me. And like, that's like a horror story, but like, I don't know, like, yeah, little things like that aren't going to go wrong <laughs> with other stuff, basically more simple stuff. Um, talking through a protocol. So let's talk through it as if we had like a Saturday weigh-in for a Sunday comp. So 24 hour weigh-in, how would you approach that? Yeah. So if we're doing a Saturday weigh-in, um, I mean, how many days I actually do this protocol for depends on the person and how much how weight much, yeah. they have to cut. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about average. Um, so maybe we'd start like the week before, like the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday. I, I'd look at the definitely Sunday for like an 8% yes. style cut for a more hectic one, but like for a smaller one, probably, probably Monday, Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this can definitely differ and it's so individual client to client, person to person. Um, but yeah, we can talk through what we'd roughly do. Um, so I suppose for the first four days, we're going to go fairly low carb, um, but we're going to keep normal fiber still. So we don't want to cut that 
too early because that's definitely not going to be a good thing. Um, and we're going to have a high water intake, so starting a bit of a water load and starting that high sodium intake that you talked about. Um, and then after that, say two to four days is done, um, we will still keep that low carb uh, diet, but we'll also add in the addition of low fiber for the, that last kind of two to three days of that weight cut. Um, and this is this is where we'll also reduce our salt intake or our sodium intake, um, but we will keep water high to normal. So we won't actually restrict that until the, the day, day before. before. Yeah, and then Friday, basically the same, or the day before, sorry, same as the day before that, We but the only change we make is we restrict that water. The number I go with is about 1% of body weight, yep. but like you should really... So, like, for somebody who's 80 kilos, it's, like, 800 ml of water. It's not a lot, um, particularly if you drink a lot normally. But, like, by then, you really know where you're tracking. And it's, like, that that protocol that we've kind of just laid out there, low carb, like, we're even talking, like, less than 30 grams of carbs for some people. Yeah. Like, it's pretty low. This is, like, how when people start keto and they drop weight like crazy. Like, this is the same this mechanism. This is why, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like, you do that and that probably – that protocol probably gets about 8% off from you. And as we spoke yeah. about, like, I, I don't really – like people doing 8% cuts, like I, I try and steer people away from that. So almost everybody we probably work with, um, we wouldn't do that full protocol. Yeah. Like we would scale it back. Like instead of going like less than 30 grams of carbs, like maybe less than 100. Like if they were having like 300 grams to start off with. like It's all relative to how they start. Because yeah. I always think about it as well. Because obviously as I talk about it all the time, but I work with vegans, I work with plant-based people. You think about the habitual yeah. fiber and carb intake of a vegan compared to someone who isn't, it's really, really high. So when I work, when I do weight cuts with these people, like I guess what would be helpful is like when we're talking low fiber, we usually say under about 10 grams. Is yeah, that what you ideally, yeah, yeah. And then low carb, like less than 30 grams. Traditionally, when I work with uh, plant-based people, we're aiming for under tw uh, 20 to 30 grams of fiber. So like the normal intake for someone yeah, yeah, who isn't yeah. plant-based because their habitual intake is like 60 to 80 grams. Yeah. Um, and then also same thing for carbs is I might just not be as aggressive with that. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, so like I say like 1% of body weight, but like you'll know, you'll know if you can go higher and obviously yeah. you go as high as you can while still making weight, obviously. Um, and another strategy I sometimes use in here like is it depends. Like if somebody hasn't had to do all the other stuff, but they're a little bit over, I might be like, okay, well, don't eat much food or drink much after 5 p.m. on yep. the day before weigh-in. Um, some bigger guys, like there's one guy I worked with who was 114, 115 kilos, and that's all we did, and he dropped to under 110. Like, such a big change. I think it was 114, so he, he dropped five kilos just by <laughs> doing that. Yep. So it's like he normally needed a lot of food, drank a lot of water, all those kind of things. Um then the next day, so call it a 10 a.m. weigh-in or whatever, you just wouldn't eat or drink before that unless you were comfortably under. Once again, you know, so if you have room to move and you could eat and drink and whatever, then yes, obviously do that. But if you are cutting it fine, then obviously you wouldn't eat or anything like that until after. Um, yeah, so I suppose the other stuff that I also think about, it, it's rare, but like I've had one client get constipation during this process because obviously we cut fiber some people cut caffeine as well just as part of this process as yeah. well like it doesn't actually it's just yeah. incidentally that they do that they do it for other reasons and like sometimes that helps people go to the toilet so like if they cut that it could be a factor sure. cutting entire lot of food volume being dehydrated that can lead to constipation like all of those factors together um do you have strategies for what you do if somebody got constipation 
during yeah. that? I've only, I, again, I've only had one client as well that yeah. this has happened to. Yeah. Um, and we just used Osmolax. So that's yeah. basically just a stool softener. Um, so we, we still had three or four days before the weigh-in. Um, so I knew that was enough time yeah. where stool softener would be able to fix that problem. Um, not a laxative, so not a laxative, but a stool softener might come in handy if you do experience constipation after yeah. cutting carbs and fiber and caffeine and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. That's my that's my approach now. I don't actually, I don't introduce it until somebody has had an issue yeah. first. Like if, I, if I'm doing multiple weight cuts with somebody and they got it on the first, and it's only been one person, but like, it's obviously a risk. It's um, a risk. So it's something to, to think about. But like I wouldn't introduce it until somebody's had issues. Like I wouldn't just preemptively do that just in case. No, um, I wouldn't do that for everybody. But potentially if someone was prone to constipation, yeah, it's something sense. that I would consider. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So then the next step, this is where a lot of people will mess up even more being honest because they don't really plan it out, um, mm. is rehydration post-weight cut. If we, if we know that you... If you nail your rehydration, theoretically, you can cut more weight and get back to your starting weight or ideal weight more effectively. You can cut more and do that. Like, if you have a terrible rehydration strategy, you couldn't cut a lot of weight and get back to it. So, like, really nailing this is pretty important because it actually allows you to cut more if you wanted to or at least feel better on the day, which is the goal. So... There's a few goals. One is obviously rehydrating in terms of water. Another one is glycogen. My kind of rule is you want to get back to a similar weight to what you were at the start of the week. Um, But not exceed it. But not exceed it. Yeah, I talk about that a bit as well. (laughs) But because we know that 2% rule, it's like if you're 2% under, then yes, it is probably your performance. Yeah. But exceeding it, like you're not you're not gaining any muscle in that time frame. You're not like you're not doing anything that's really helping your performance. Yeah. But it it is a game. A lot of people turn into a game that they're like, totally. how much weight can I regain? And like, I I even this is just anecdotal, but I'm like, is that leading to an increased risk of cramps? Like, is there a massive fluctuation in totally. electrolytes and stuff like that? Like, are you just gonna feel hella bloated like are you gonna like feel like crap (laughs) yeah i don't know so like that's why i say get back to the starting line so the actual protocol um that like i've developed over the years is basically i have three separate drinks for my clients so i have a 250 mil protein shake that's just protein powder and milk or even just water depending on what you prefer i add creatine into that obviously you're not going to fully because you probably have taken creatine out for the weight cut like if creatine holds onto water, like it makes sense to take creatine out. You're not going to fully saturate yourself with creatine, obviously in this time frame, but it does help you hold onto a little bit more water, particularly if you have it multiple times. It's almost like doing a loading phase. If it takes five to seven days of loading to get to full saturation, even just 24 hours of the loading phase is actually moving the needle a little bit. Um, So a protein shake with some creatine in it, 500 mil of Gatorade or Powerade, or just grab a 600 mil bottle, like don't overthink this, and 250 mil of, hydrolyte and it's intentionally meant to be around one liter because that seems to be that is about as much as healthy kidneys can kind of excrete and that doesn't really differ much between sizes of people as well so like that one liter is pretty consistent for pretty much everybody and you sip on it slowly over the course of an hour like I, i don't know have you seen charts on like hydration with different products like there's like dairy like milk in there and like water and like yeah yeah so like those charts are pretty interesting but like one on those charts as well if you get the same chart showing that like like the reason i brought that up like for the audience is basically just thinking about in terms of like milk actually hydrates people slightly more than water Mm. and like is it it's due to the food matrix it's due to the sodium in there it's due to a combination of things but sometimes these studies also go and compare if you scull it in one go 
versus if you sip on it slowly. And people seem to absorb more of the fluid, as in they don't need to urinate as much pretty much. Like they yeah. absorb more of the fluid if they sip it slowly. So that one litre of fluid that I just laid out, you sip slowly on that over the course of an hour. And if you did a small weight cut, like a couple percent, I'd probably just have that once and then move on to food after that. If you did an 8% kind of weight cut, like a larger one, I'd have that every hour for four hours. If you did something in the middle, then I'd do something in the middle. Like I'd have something like do that for like two hours or whatever because I can't even explain it all now because like there was a lot that went into that protocol in terms of like how much fluid can we absorb, how much how much yeah. um, carbohydrate can we take on and store as glycogen, all of those kind of things. Um, the reason why protein is in there is not necessarily just for muscle growth, but also because like, it's too late, you're not going to grow muscle, but it's because it also like helps you with glycogen synthesis, like the combination of that and carbs. Like there's a lot that goes into that. So it's like that is the perfect kind of thing for the first couple of hours. And then after that, you move on to food. We know that on average, the body can store about 10 grams of glycogen per kilogram lean body mass. So for somebody who's 80 kilos, 10% body fat, that's about 720 grams of carbs. Like the whole point I'm getting at with that is that's that's a lot of glycogen. That's like, well, 720 grams of glycogen. It is a lot of glycogen. And if you were fully glycogen depleted, which for a weight cut you most likely would be close to, that would kind of be the target to kind of replenish over the next 24 hours. You don't have to fully get there. Like most of these sports, like like powerlifting in particular, you're not gonna, it's not like you don't need full glycogen stores or anything like that. Yeah. But if you were trying to maximize that, like you could go up to as much as 720 in that case, if you were larger or had more muscle mass, you'd go higher. If you were smaller, you'd go a little bit lower than that. But like that's kind of the goal and it might be like near what it takes to get back to your former size and everything like that. So in terms of introducing food, it makes a compelling argument for not necessarily doing what you call it like a C food diet, which is where you just like eat everything in sight, which is what a lot of people do. It makes sense to focus on carbohydrate rich foods. And in terms of glycogen synthesis rates, um, the highest most people seem to be able to take on is one to 1.85 grams per kilogram per hour. But, and like absorb and everything like that. But that's under optimal conditions. That's under like a post-exercise state where it's easier to absorb glycogen. And that's also... Um, when you haven't just been fully glycogen, like when you haven't taken on carbs for a week or something like that, you're not exactly primed for glycogen. So putting it into context, like how I'd actually put that in practice, like personally, I'd go like 50 grams plus of carbs every two hours during the first kind of part. And then after that, just divide that target of like say 720 grams or whatever it is based on your size over multiple meals. Is there anything else you do differently? No, yeah, I, I, I do it like that. I guess the only thing that would be a caveat to that is obviously it's, dependent on the weigh-in time so yeah. you don't want to get that full amount in if you have a two-hour weigh-in because obviously there's yeah that's for a long way in, like 24 how, hours yeah. yet how much glycogen you can store per hour so that's what more you want to look like, like that's what you want to look at if you have a two-hour weigh-in like you could really only get in so one to two grams of um, carbs per kilo per hour yeah um, as opposed to that total for complete glycogen repletion but I guess on the flip side of that you don't want to be completely glycogen depleted if you only have a short period of time yeah 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 for sure so yeah that, that's roughly how i'd do it i'd focus on foods that make you feel good and foods that you know sit well and everything like yeah. that like yeah pretty simple i just wouldn't overthink it too much like i just focus on higher carbohydrate foods if you want to be really pedantic like you could do the maths on everything that i've kind of said but like I would just have that kind of shake or like those three separate drinks or whatever for the first hour or two, maybe four if you need, and then go into food focusing on carbohydrate-rich foods that sit well after that. 
Yeah. So I think what you said about not eating everything in sight and going for like going to Pancake Manor and like eating a bunch of donuts is obviously something people do, but is not ideal. Um, But at the same time, you also don't need to overthink it and just focus on really carbohydrate rich foods in that time period that you have whilst doing that, um, like that fluid uh, drink protocol as well. Yeah. So this has been episode 16 of the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we'll be back next week.